0: Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. continue to say this, but uh, I've been very lucky to be traveling uh, around the world and and asking people about innovation and education and how we're impacting the next generation and also supporting the conversations of those that are doing their best to uh, work with the up and coming, the next, as I like to call it. Really looking forward to this conversation with Marty Callahan. He's the CEO of Digital Ed. And I have been fascinated for years, I'll age myself Well, going on over a decade uh, when we think about platforms and the way in which we engage students, professors, teachers into the conversation and the way in which we leverage technology to do that in really exciting and inspiring ways. Uh, Marty, congratulations. I know your your post is relatively new. I'm sure there's a lot going on for you. Uh, l- let's just start with an easy one here. <laughs> uh, tell me about sort of why digital ed for you and, and sort of when you think about your career arc.
1: Oh well, well, thanks, Rod. I, I um, you know, I had a background for the last twenty, almost five years. So I'll age myself a little bit uh, <laughs> as well. Uh, in in healthcare, really uh, in the SaaS market for the providers uh, in the in the U.S. Um, healthcare um, market overall, and you know, really, what was interesting about that market at the time 25 years ago is they were from a from a financial services standpoint about 25 years behind the financial services market how they dealt with patients how they collected money how they gave out free services it was all done very manually it really wasn't done with any kind of technology or data and the the interaction or engagement with patients was was really poor overall and so i entered that market and was really Stunned by the the lack of progress, and you know, we we created some great software products and services around that, and really, and really created a, a new market for the healthcare, um, or a new set of market tools for that healthcare um, environment. And it took off. We really that new category just took off, and suddenly patients were being treated as customers, and and they were looked at as um, you know, how could they pay? When could they pay? what was their um, you know ability to get free services and and really just thinking about the engagement function and that was through analytics and data and and communications and when i looked at digital ed i saw something similar in the in the in the education market more globally than just the us healthcare market and that is we've been kind of managing education because i have four children who've been through Obviously K through 12 and they're in higher ed today. And you know, we've been delivering education the same way, I would say for decades, but maybe millennia. I mean, it has been really delivered the, the same way for 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 many, many years, without much change in the way that we deliver, the way we engage. And when you think about society in general, the way that that humans are engaged, whether that's in retail, online, financial services, healthcare, every phase of our life is engaged very differently today than it was 10, 20 years ago, even five years ago. And yet education has lagged. And so when I saw the opportunity at Digital Ed, it was really around the fact that we had a chance to really change the way that 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 education is delivered. Maybe we can bend the cost curve, um, you know, and that rising cost of education. Perhaps we can make it easier and more efficient for, for instructors to deliver content to students in a, in a way that they want to have it delivered to them in a way that they learn better. Maybe we can touch more of the disadvantaged out there that don't have as much access to getting to a, you know, a, a higher education environment. So I, I looked at it as the that kind of a challenge, but that kind of a market opportunity.
0: And what so- surprised you, Marty, about yeah. the market? Because I I'm with you completely. I I come from education and healthcare background, and forever I've thought, boy, these are really similar. You know, you take a patient, you substitute that for a student, you take a doctor for a teacher or a professor, and to your point, this sort of antiquated, sort of sort of running in mud kind of an approach, and yet higher ed is classic for, and I've worked in it, so I feel okay in saying this, but you know, higher ed has, has been that ivory tower where tradition means, doesn't exactly mean change and or timely change. And so what has surprised you in the education market, given that you were already coming in, seeing similarities or overlap with healthcare?
1: I think the the one surprise is I I think there's a genuine interest in change, but they don't really understand how to best get there. Um, and for those educators who are, you know, obviously, um, you know, well-intended and, you know, have, have been really, I, I think, like the physician, really care about the outcome for their student or their patient, right? They, that they have those similar um, uh, desires to create a great outcome for the group of people they're responsible for, and yet they—they're really, even though they're—they're they're in it, they're probably in it every day in their personal life. They're not seeing necessarily the confluence of how they can deliver that, or how easily they can get it done, and um, or how they would integrate it into maybe a um, a hybrid model. Um, and so, I think it's the right now. It's that chasm. It's that gap. The surprise is that you know they want to do it. I think that's maybe the. Which was maybe a little different, my experience in healthcare. That that maybe the the desire wasn't there yet, but I think the desire's there. It's just a, a matter of trying to kind of bridge the gap for them, um, if you will.
0: Talk about the approach to selling into education as opposed to healthcare. Uh is this about sort of becoming friendly and understanding the pain points? You know there's so many different ways people approach selling and contributing to education, right? Is it sort of bottom up from the classroom or the lecture the lecture hall, you know, through the university in that regard? Is it sort of top down? It feels like everybody has sort of a different way to approach it. Uh, with value propositions sort of at every corner, how do you think about that and have you been able to lean into or leverage some of those experiences that you mentioned in healthcare over twenty five years?
1: Yeah, I think I'll tell you my experience with digital ed and what what we've traditionally done. It's been the bottom up, grassroots approach, right? Instructor by instructor, uh, tip of the spear, right? You you get land and expand and 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 really create a relationship and and um, you know wins uh, with those individual instructors. That was much like healthcare in the early days, and it's a it's a bit of a tough slog, right? You're you're, you're growing incrementally and and not reaching the masses. And so it's been successful for us but because I think it's still a relationship sale. I think there's trust that has to be gained um I think there's um there's relationship that has to be made uh, and then there's you know there's kind of a trial period that has to be met. but I think longer term, this needs to be more of a, a top-down, departmental kind of decision. But what I've found in the short term I've been here is that uh, I think from the department standpoint, they typically don't make those decisions for their instructors, that the instructors still have, you know, a lot of of flexibility around how they teach and what they teach. And so I think it's an evolution to get there, but I, I do think it's a relationship uh, from both ways. if it, and the best way is to have bi-directional selling, right? So top down and bottom up so that you're you're reaching more of the instructors within a department and you get communication across those because the other thing that I've learned again in a short time is they they talk, um they share, and they collaborate. And so the more that we can get that kind of communication moving between, instructors and within departments, I think the better we get penetration and, and get to more students.
0: I want to talk about what digital ed is, but I also think it's important to talk about what it is not. You know, it's just on the education side of it and the vertical of education, I think one challenge over the last decade is trying to be all things to all people. And matching that with runways, (laughs) sort of kind of how do we balance this because we have long sales cycles. um, And so when we get a customer or a client or a partner that wants something added, it then impacts our sprints, you know, and our development, these sorts of things. So talk a little bit about sort of what digital ed is for those that don't know. But also, if you don't mind, chalk the field on what it isn't so people understand sort of the, the sort of the shining light, that lighthouse element of digital ed for them.
1: Sure. Um, so I, I think what what we are, but we've had these conversations for the last month and a half.
0: I wish people could see your faces. <laughs> it, I know that
1: look. <laughs> Who we are. Uh, and and we are, a, I think, you know, we are a technology that enables content delivery and assessment uh, and analytics and a learning environment that outperforms others. Right. And we do that through technology. Um, and some of the examples of that are, you know, the content that's delivered and the assessments that are made through assignments that are, are delivered through our platform. We have something like, um, you know, our randomization of questions. And so it truly allows students to, to really get better and to learn um, through trial and error, and through um, you know uh, being able to have um, input through analytics of where they need to work more. What we're not, we're not an LMS, um, so we're not a learning management system. We are not purely a content provider. We we do work with with uh, content providers, and we want to be fairly content agnostic. We have some of our own content packs. That have been co-developed through um our customers and and uh, um and partners who want to deliver through our platform but we're not out deli- you know documenting and creating new content we want to get the best out there and let people you know other instructors be able to manipulate it change it to their own needs um we're not you know, we're not a, a proctoring service. We do have assessment and and testing, but you know, we, we really, I would say, we're we're not in that far end of the, of the proctoring um, type. But what we do is integrate to those other those other solutions, so that the free flow of information around students and their performance can be delivered through any of those other you know platforms that are out there.
0: How much education do you think goes into the? the proposition of engaging a digital ed, meaning that the market needs to be educated on what you just sort of clarified as to what you are and what you aren't. Because I do think sort of that legacy system experience or the the, the hangover effect of some of these legacy systems is that we just put everything into one box and say, well, that just means that someone's an LMS or someone is a content provider. And if you haven't figured out how to sort of categorize it in those sort of antiquated terms it can be difficult so there then hence the education talk a little bit about the role of educating the market yeah
1: i think that's a it's a great point um and much like healthcare this looks again to be a really um you know uh, a large um yet niche industry right we we have a um a number of solutions that overlap and that there's been legacy you know uh platforms out there for years so it um you know so we i think the education and really clarifying to the market what each does and and really educating is you know and that's around thought leadership right how do you how do you go out and create that that message and um i think the clarity around that's not easy because i there are a number of other platforms that touch or move to the left or to the right of where you think they are. Right. And some of that might be by design uh, and, and creating some, some noise. Um, others might just be by happenstance, but I think um, the education component is really important how we do it. Um, I think we're still working on uh, around clarity of what, what an, an educator or uh, you know, a, a university is looking to try to accomplish. And so I think there's ways to do it, but it's it's difficult and it's really important. But it's um, is still, I think, kludgy in the market today.
0: Tell me about the value of riding along alongside a riding shotgun with uh, an area of expertise or focus like STEM.
1: Well, I think the the value there is back to focus. One of the things that that the the our poor staff has to hear from me all the time is about focus. Um <laughs> and and the fact that, you know, it, just like the the discussion of who we are. And so for us, I, I think it's really around focusing on that area. Um and and frankly, it's a it's an international uh language. And so we can touch more. Um you know when you get into the arts and in some of the other areas where it's more challenging to do so um i think for us it is really important to stay focused on on that but then you know we've been largely math to start with and so you know as the starting point we've got great partners who are happen to be in in uh, you know chemistry and biology and and uh, anatomy um we're working towards how do we expand in Engineering and computer science, and I think when you look at the kind of the world, um, STEM is the area of growth, right? It's all around technology and science, and that's that's where the majority of the the dollars are being spent for students coming out of school. Um, and so we we think that that's an important role. Uh, and again, from an international standpoint, it's a it's a pretty common language um, that we don't have as many barriers in.
0: In researching uh, ahead of our our discussion today, there's one, a couple of phrases that I really like, and I'd love to hear sort of your perspective on this concept of frictionless education. Um, what does that look like, feel like, sound like to you? I mean, I think back again, dating myself, I think back to my experience in higher ed and there was a lot, a lot of friction, <laughs> <laughs> even even under the umbrella of of a notable university, right? But I think that's a lot of people's experience. So help me understand that pursuit is there, how would we know if we've sort of gotten there and are there key indicators that we are on the right path of creating this frictionless environment?
1: Sure. And, and uh, you know, from personal standpoint, some friction isn't bad, right? right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? So, um, but I think where we're trying to head and what we see in that statement is it's anytime, anywhere. Uh, any way that makes it best for the student and the instructor to come together and learn and so whether that's um you know on a desktop on a laptop on a phone on a on a uh, you know on a, a any kind of a, a a pad an ipad um that we want to be able to deliver and make it easy and this is you know friction I think is really around making things easier to deliver content. So, if if you're an instructor, professor, how can we make it easy to get your content up and running in online and, and precise? Um, you know, if it, how do we make it easy for assignments to be developed and created and assigned and graded? Uh, and how can you en- enable students to to grade um and have uh, that kind of environment for the student it's around how can I how can I learn the best? how can I measure? how can I understand um the content more readily and and at the end, it, you know I think it's about speed. So can we get that to them faster? Can we get their learning accomplished in in a more you know, uh, expedient way and can we measure those results and get those back to the instructor and the, and the students much more quickly um and I, I guess at the end if we are faster and we're more we're, we're we're just more uh efficient we can get more into their hands right and so i think it just increases the the not only the volume, but the quality that we can get out to students, but it has to also start with the, with the instructor. Um, because if they can't get it out easily, it it doesn't get there.
0: I love that. And, and uh, a friendly accusation, but you buried the lead there, Marty. And I love it because yes. you, you've said a couple of times there and the instructor. And I think, I don't think this was a conscious decision by technology companies in the education space, or let alone in the healthcare space where they're trying to help to support that relationship and the exchange of meaningful and actionable data, but the instructor or the physician you know, sometimes are the last to be sort of thought of when we think about the way in which technology can be a lever to build up relationship and opportunity, right, To for growth and development. And you you mentioned, and the instructor, that seems like it is near and dear to digital ed, and I would think that that is incredible data and information from your current user base as to how they're engaging with it. How do you counterbalance sort of the the experience of the professor versus the student in understanding sort of not just where the, the purchase is or that initial engagement is, right, but also that long-term relationship? Because to me, in higher ed, the benefit is once you've created a... a a valuable relationship, you can be there and really help an institution over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Now I, it, you know, it, we talked about
1: relationships and selling earlier. I think relationships across um whether it's a higher ed organization or, you know, a healthcare provider in that case, healthcare is it's patients in this case, it's students and instructors. Right. And that those um, relationships blossom, right, as things um, improve. And so one of the big things we're, we're trying to do uh, at all points in time is to prove that we are more successful or we can help them be more successful in their endeavors to teach and part of that, that frictionless environment. And that means we have fewer drops, fails, withdrawals. Right? We have higher test scores. Um, we have you know uh, better learning outcomes, whatever those are. And and because we can capture that data now, we don't always get it, and that's the challenge I think in this industry. Other than others, where we want to try to overcome is how do we get more data? How do we get more beginning data and data, and create that that relationship to understand how successful we're being compared to other models. And from an analytics standpoint, I, and I've, I've got a little bit of a background in that, we wanna get you know baseline data, we wanna test it against new data. And I think that goes a long way in, in the relationship with the institution uh, and the instructor, because once we're able to for them to understand and fully prove to themselves that they're in, improving along the way, then that relationship just grows across the organization. And you can really then start touching other instructors, other departments and and working towards, you know, just better outcomes across the board.
0: Do you think that that is achieved or accomplished through the humanization of data? I think that we we have a different relationship. Tell me if you think I'm wrong on this, but I feel like our relationship with data has evolved. If we think of data as sort of this entity, right? this organized set of information that can impact me personally and professionally and that it's not just ones and zeros like it might've been in the early 2000s and that we're finding different ways to understand it, interpret it, use it, not use it to stigmatize or label. Like it can be very powerful now in a way that I think is very different and education I think is just scratching the surface. What role does that play in sort of what you were just talking about?
1: Well, I think you're right. I mean, d- data today is, is. Uh... It's prevalent in every part of everyone's life, right? And, and you can see where it's detrimental, um, where there's not acceptance, uh, or it's being used outside of what you had intended it to be used, right? You're as you're surfing every day, um, you know, uh, online, people are collecting your data everywhere, and and some of that isn't humanizing, right? They're using it for their own purposes. Um, I think from and it's not just bits and bytes. We we should be thinking about outcomes. And so when we think about, we could start looking at at equity outcomes. We could look at um, you know outcomes that are are based in in um, just pure um, uh, performance. We could look at um outcomes that are you know outreach based um so when when institutions start thinking about and, I, and I'll use the US as an example right you've got public institutions you know state um you know institutions right here we have one of the largest in the, in the world if not certainly the United States and you know they 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 want to reach out into communities right they want to get more students you know when when I went I and I happened to go to that university, but um, the Ohio State University. (laughs) University, Uh, And when when I went there, well, one, I was the first generation of my family to ever go to university. Um, Second, uh, the university at that point was open enrollment you know, anyone could get in I and mean, I wouldn't admit that to anyone else, uh, but now I guess I'm. Public <laughs> Are you now. saying
0: that benefited you, Marty? <laughs> it,
1: I, 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 I most likely could have gotten to a lot of other places, but, um, <laughs> but, uh but I chose not to, I just wanted to, I, you know, as a boy, I, mean, I didn't have much experience in, in, uh, in higher education. So, you know, I, I chose the school that I was most interested in it was probably because of sports, right. It really wasn't, um, and because I was first generation, we really didn't have a lot of other things to compare it to. But since then, it's much more difficult to get into that university. It's it's risen and its um, uh, quality, but they still have a mission to reach out in this state, just like the University of Nebraska, or you know, take any other state where you know we're in Ohio, we've got. Uh, a really disadvantaged area in some of the inner cities and certainly in um Appalachia where how do they reach out how can they help to reach out how can they work through community colleges how can they work through others to get to those those students who may not have the opportunity that others do so we can start to use data a lot of different ways um and back to the humanization part right where it's not just i mean it there's all kinds of ways to think about th- That's the more human way to think about it. There's also the way that, you know, gosh, they want to get more grants to do other things, right? Where so if we're performing better, we can we can work on those those kinds of opportunities. So I think, you know, when we look at data, there's just a lot of ways to make that one more humanizing, as we talked about, but to to make it important from a university standpoint, as they're thinking about or institutional standpoint, as they're thinking about um how do they deploy differently and so it 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 actually s- it should stir some thought and isn't that what higher education's about around um how they deliver education long term
0: and it feels like it's much more iterative now that 10 years 15 years ago when you had a technology the market expected it to be done finished <laughs> static, so that they can sort of move on with whatever you built. And and I don't think it was industry specific, but now it feels like in education, there's an understanding that this is an ecosystem, right? This is sort of, it has living, breathing qualities to it that will grow over time with data that's put into the system, right? And sort of the human interaction of that. How do companies do that if they're not, you know, like technology without compromise? I know that's another, another element of, of what yeah. you you work on and i say that because i I feel like technology companies are becoming much more mission driven than they were uh, a number of years ago that there's really an understanding that we're not just widgets or ones and zeros or just something that you pick up and utilize and then set down that it's really much more about a lifestyle and a way in which to support all different areas of your life yeah
1: i think um you know those those systems that were delivered and this is what you got that's why they suffered tech debt and um it's also a, you know filled rooms with with mainframe computers right um and where mo- most people don't remember that but um and i i think one of the beauties about where we've gone from a technology standpoint is our ability to iterate but do it quickly and i i again, our staff <laughs> are tired of hearing me but I I have to because they're Canadian they don't know who John Wooden is um and so I have to explain it but but wooden I think one of his quotes that I just I find near and dear to my heart is be quick but don't hurry and and you know the I think that that plays in just about every part of our business but in technology, as we think about sprints, as we think about iterations, as we think about being thoughtful but working quickly, you know, whether you're, you know, you're, you're you're thinking about development cycles and how that's changed over time, and agile and Scrum and all the neat things that are out there, it's really about shorter, faster bites of of change, right? How to eat the elephant one bite at a time. Well, instead of trying to swallow it we learn more about our product in shorter sprints we're able to make changes in shorter sprints and we're able to satisfy more people in a short period of time without thinking that everything's going to be perfect every time but when you can start to deliver in that iterative model over and over then you gain trust. Oh gosh, oh look at this new button. Oh look at what this does. Oh gosh, we have this new feature. And you know that those are I think um it it kind of speaks to society today too. We're 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 faster. We want things faster. And so if you can deliver those you know bits and pieces in a in a faster fashion, I think it builds again relationship and the expectation that nothing's perfect um and and you know we don't want perfect to be the enemy of good and so we we continue to be very very good and over and over again and you know and those fast deliveries i think build a lot of a lot of trust
0: i love that and john wooden obviously the the hall of fame basketball coach from ucla um you're, now you're leaning into to my addictions which would be sports and especially basketball we're just a couple of big 10 guys i went to michigan state and you got yeah. you handled us quite well I'll, I'll look for that gift basket in the mail marty uh <laughs> uh let's put on your your dad hat if you don't mind so you've got four kids so yeah. if you put your dad hat on and you think about sort of this you know the 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 change in your career arc that we sort of started this conversation with tell me a little bit about just what it means to you to be now working in education at sort of the you know working with a group that has been committed to making a difference and doing things that are really humanizing to an earlier point I made around technology and and how it can help to support both the individual and the instructor but I do think as a parent it is interesting for those that choose education um, along their career path sure
1: yeah you know, and it's been interesting to be a parent um over the last you know three years right during covid and in a worldwide pandemic and seeing how unprepared uh schools were my my son so i'll get the four my my oldest is autistic so he's got a learning disability he's pretty severe so i've had a different taste of what he's able to do or, or has access to uh my second son uh is now in computer science at university of cincinnati um but during covid they they were so unprepared so unprepared to deliver anything and, and and you know, boy, I wish we could change, but we can't change things, right? But the the challenge for him at that point, um, when he's a smart kid, but he absolutely, but they were trying to deliver, you know, through a Zoom, you know, camera, and and he just lost all uh engagement. He went from a and boy, if he ever hears us, he'll he'll probably you know shoot me, but he went from, a you know, being a, a three, eight student in his final semester to a one. Uh, I think he got it over this because I, I made a trip to his bedroom, but, um, you know, I got a notice that he was at a, at a one eight, um, in that final semester. And so that did make me very happy. Um, and my daughters had a different school and they were struggling a bit, but not as much as my son's school. And, uh. Just the impacts of that I think were were really interesting, you know, if you step away for a minute um, from being the parent. But at the same time, you know, I the instructors didn't embrace it either, right? It wasn't just that they didn't have the tools. They didn't, they didn't, you know, manipulate what they had. They didn't, you know, create something out of nothing. Um and I, I think you have to adapt during those times. And so, but from the other side of the parent, not that just that experience, but um my oldest daughter is at University of Tennessee, um, as a freshman, she's not in the sciences, you know, she's she she doesn't know what she wants to be. She's more of a philosophy, right? And I'm like, oh geez, <laughs> you need to do something other than that to make money. But um and my daughter's in high school. And once I think the other thing that I've I've learned about all this having kids is that once the pandemic receded everybody went back to the old ways that you know in high and school, said we wouldn't do it right we, we were going to do it yeah and so we we have we have stepped back in many cases and, and as a parent that that makes me um disappointed um that we we don't think about hybrid models we don't think about better ways to teach we just wanted to feel good um and in in some respects I get that, but others i i I wish as a parent that they were exploring more ways to improve education rather than slipping back into what they're comfortable with um and so my role back to the question too is how do I feel about that what well, I think one of the the interesting things and neat things about where I worked before and where I work now at digital ed is we had a we had a mission um and those missions the missions for both companies were to you know really kind of improve the lives of the people we touch and so as as the role here i think it's really important for me personally uh to feel like we're doing something to uh, touch more students touch more instructors create better outcomes from a learning perspective and um, that that's my hope, right? That we we continue to to reach out to the market. The market responds, and we get more leaders. And it's going to take some some serious leadership in in the education market to to really expand this model. Um, and so that's that's our hope. And I think that's another reason I'm here. Not just the excitement of of how we could grow, but certainly that we're we're touching lives.
0: Well, I think you embody that leadership that you're you're hoping that we have in the industry. I think digital ed's incredibly lucky to have you. And I think it's uh, it's a sneaky good skill to come from healthcare because uh, you understand you. so much of what's behind the scenes and the challenges that may be in sort of in front of, of anybody in in the path of education. And I love this. I want people to go to digital ed. .com and and I love this as sort of your tag on the website but individual learning in a shared world. And if anything I'm going to walk away outside of a John Wooden quote uh and and sharing time with a, with a Buckeye here is that in everything that you've talked about you have included both parties. And I don't think that that should be something that we just sort of roll over. You're talking about the instructor and the student and that to me is relationship building and that speaks to really what is higher ed as an industry is struggling with. How do they keep that connective tissue where they communicate value and opportunity long term once you exit a campus, whether that's hybrid or sort of in a brick and, and mortar uh, model. So I really impressed Marty. I, I think the Digital Ed is is uh is lucky to have you in, in the position. And uh it's been great to spend some time with you again. You can check out digitaled.com, Marty Callahan, the the new and excited and I think well positioned CEO of Digital Ed. I'm your host. Dr. Rodberger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rodberger.